Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Twenty-seven years ago, the Australian government was famously taken on by proud Torres Strait Islander Eddie Koiki Mabo and his compatriots from the island Mur in the Torres Strait in a landmark case about land law and native title. Today, we will be speaking with the lawyers representing a new group of Torres Strait Islanders in another landmark human rights case against the Australian government. Eight islanders have lodged a complaint at the UN Human Rights Committee in Geneva, Switzerland. The complaint will argue that the islanders' human rights to life and culture have been violated by the Australian government's current policy towards reducing emissions and climate change. Tonight we're joined by Sophie Marjanak, who is from Client Earth, a firm in London, based in London in the UK, assisting these Torres Strait Islanders with this very, very important landmark complaint. Thank you for joining us, Sophie. No problem. Can you uh, describe to us in a little more detail than we have just done then what this case you're embarking on is all about? Sure. So uh, myself and my colleagues at, at Client Earth are representing eight uh, Torres Strait Islanders from four different islands in the Torres Strait. Each of their islands are very uh, low-lying. They are The lowest is um, a metre or so above sea level. And accordingly, they are extremely um, vulnerable to the risks and impacts of climate change. In fact, the clients are already experiencing the impacts of, of global climate change already. One of their islands is regularly inundated uh, at, at king tides, and the clients are noticing the impacts um, of sea level rise and erosion on their islands are getting worse. So we are, we are representing them in relation to a complaint to the United Nations Human Rights Committee. The complaint is made under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, Mm. um, the ICCPR. The ICCPR is the first international uh, human rights treaty um, signed by most world nations after the Second World War. And um, Australian citizens have the right to complain to the Human Rights Committee of the UN against their state for uh, alleged violations of the rights protected by the covenant. Um, the rights that, we, that the clients are alleging are violated in, in this instance through the Australian government's failure to act on climate change and include Article 6, which is the right to life, Article 17, uh, which is the right to family and home, and um, importantly, uh, Article 20, well, most importantly, perhaps Article 27, the right to culture. And, and that right is a right specific to minority groups, 
um, states must ensure that minorities have the right to enjoy and practice their culture. Well, that um, sounds very, very significant uh, and a lot of information, I think, for the listeners to synthesise there. But I think what, what's the best way, Sophie, to explain to those listening tonight the real effects that these Torres Strait Islanders who are making the complaint have experienced and how is it actually impacting their day-to-day life and what have, what stories and struggles have they shared with you? Yeah, the, the evidence in this case is really compelling. Um, the clients um, and, and many and their communities as well across the Torres Strait, not just the four islands that they come from, but across the region. Um, Australians don't really aren't always aware of this, but the Torres Strait is really on the climate front line. Um, they, uh, I've talked about sea level rise, and that's a really um, dramatic and significant impact that's observed. So um, on Boigu, which is the northernmost community in Australia, they're already regularly experiencing inundation, and those inundations are getting worse. Um, erosion, particularly also on the islands of, of, of the Coral Cay Islands in the central Torres Strait, is um, getting much worse. Um, the clients have uh, noticed that it's begun to actually take out old grave sites, which are culturally significant um, to them, mm. sort of in a cultural way, but also in a, in a spiritual way, and also causes them quite a lot of anxiety to see um, this erosion affecting those sacred sites. But sea level rise, you know, when we were there in um, March and... Uh, cyclone went through Weeper and the, sea, the swell uh, plus the um, wind from the cyclone literally took out about three metres of one of the islands in three days Gosh. and that was quite remarkable to, to watch. So, you know, for me as well, I lived there about 10 years ago and you can see that the whole shape of some of the islands has changed. Torres Strait Islanders have been raising this issue for many, many years. They've been um, seeking uh, funding and assistance for adaptation, so for seawalls and hard infrastructure to protect the islands and to prevent the inundation. Um, but they haven't really had much traction um, with the government. The, the, the state and federal governments have sort of been passing the buck and, you know, given uh, sort of Band-Aid solutions. Mm to the problem and there hasn't been comprehensive, um, the, the issue hasn't been comprehensively addressed. So obviously the sea, the, the sea level rise and erosion is, is a key impact that they're experiencing, but also, you know, everyone we spoke to talked about how the seasons were changing, mm. how they could no longer predict the seasons and therefore that was affecting their traditional way of life. Mm. Um, clients also speak about the coral bleaching and about how that's affected the crayfish population, which is the significant industry in the region. Um, they talked about how that's affecting fish populations as well. So there are many, it's not just the sea level rise, there's a whole range of impacts from climate change that will affect uh, the traditional way of life in the Torres Strait. You mentioned before, Sophie, that um, there were three different kinds of claims that you were bringing under the ICCPR. Um, from a, a technical legal perspective, I guess, what, what do you actually need to prove in order to be successful in, in this claim? We need to prove that the the state has uh, violated the um, the rights, so that the the clients are victims, and that um, the states um, the state has failed to implement adequate measures to um, deal with or to address 
the, uh, the impact on rights. So um, we have looked at both adaptation uh, to climate change, that is assistance in um, assistance with, with seawalls and, and infrastructure as, and, and also mitigation, so that's the reduction of Australia's greenhouse gas emissions. And the case is that um, by failing to uh, comply with international environmental law, being the UNFCCC, which is the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and the Paris Agreement, and to have an adequate um, emissions reduction target, Australia um, breaches the covenant. Um, the argument is that Australia must increase its emissions reduction target under the Paris Agreement. And that not only that, but it has to actually have policies to meet uh, the target that it has. <clears throat> and at present, the, ev the evidence is that unfortunately, the federal government doesn't have an adequate plan to meet its already inadequate um, target. Is it likely that you'd face a challenge, I guess, in, in do you, like, I suppose, do you need to demonstrate that the Australian government has caused the climate effects that are, that are, that are happening to your clients in the north, or does it just need to demonstrate that it hasn't done enough? So, yeah, causation is always an issue in climate change litigation. Um, but a, a, a human rights claim um, causation wouldn't need to be demonstrated um, in the same way that it would, say, in a tort claim in a negligence case. I see. Um, and, you know, we suggest that um, the obligation arises directly from the treaty. So Australia has signed up to this treaty. It mm. has said that it will guarantee these rights and therefore it must take um, adequate measures to do so. And, um, you know, the impact on these rights is, is so significant. Um, you know, we're talking about dispossession of the clients from their ancestral homeland. And if they are dispossessed, if they do have to move to the mainland, um, you know, which may be likely in, in the lifetimes of, of the clients, um, you know, and, and, and certainly within the lifetimes of their children, um, then that is such a, a fundamental breach of their right to culture particularly and their right to live on their land um, that we say that that constitutes a violation of the covenant. Mm. How exactly did you get involved in this case, given your experience at the Torres Strait and moving to the UK and now taking this massive step? I, um, yeah, so I worked in the Torres Strait um, back in 2010 uh, in native title and I just stayed in contact with people from the region, um, stayed friends with people and um, spoke to them about um, the erosion and what was happening and um, started thinking about potential legal options um, to raise awareness of, of the issues that they're facing. And it, I mean, it is really potentially a human rights crisis that's unfolding in in our country and um you know it's it, it will be so tragic if the children there won't be able to um have their cultural inheritance they won't be able to if they're not on their land then there's that fundamental kind of break with with the traditional culture and that's what we really want to try and prevent so we want to make sure that communities um, in the Torres Strait on the low-lying islands can stay there mm. um, forever, hopefully. Have there been any other um, international cases, I guess, brought against governments for this kind of um, this kind of claim, like either a failure to act on climate change or, a, as, as we were sort of discussing before, that the, that the inaction has indeed caused or contributed to uh, the effects of climate change? 
Yeah, there are there are several cases around the world. Um, the most well known and successful is the Agenda case in the Netherlands. Um, that uh, was was a case in tort against the um, against the Dutch state, uh, also in constitutional uh, constitutional law um, under the Dutch constitution. Um, but that human rights arguments under the European Convention on Human Rights were made uh, to the Dutch Court of Appeal recently, and um, the court accepted that climate change would affect um, Articles Two and Eight of the European Convention on Human Rights, which are the right to life and the right to privacy and, and family and home. So that's probably the most successful example, but there have been several others. There's a big case in the US proceeding um, being brought by a group of young people against the uh, US federal government. And that's also on the basis of rights. It's a Bill of, Bill of Rights um, claim that by failing to uh, reduce emissions and act on climate change, the US is also violating the rights of those young people. Interesting that you mentioned a Bill of Rights in the US, Sophie. Um, while Australia doesn't have a National Bill of Rights, uh, a number of states, including Victoria, have a charter which includes a cultural right to maintain connection to land, among others. Um, do you foresee that the, the legal arguments that you're raising and used in this case could actually be applied to these kinds of instruments as well? Um, well, we certainly hope hope so. I think um, you know the claim is very novel and it's quite quite a new area of law, um, but uh, we hope that it will um, break new ground. Um, that whatever the committee decides, that it will develop the law in this area. And I think that we're only going to see, with the impacts of climate change, you know, obviously going to increase dramatically in the next decade. I think we're just going to see more and more of these cases brought from from uh, different groups of people that are impacted. Mm. Mm, that's really interesting. And, and, and I guess part of the... Part of the challenge is identifying uh, the the right um, the right claimants and the right kind of respondent. I guess as as we've talked about, well, I would like to kind of just delve a bit more into that. I guess is thinking about um, how how Client Earth construed the claim to uh, identify the Australian government. I guess as being as being the appropriate respondent, um, and what kind of jurisdiction uh, the the UN uh, would have, I guess, if, if, if you are successful in your claim, what does what would Australia have to do? So, unfortunately, Australia um, tends to uh, ignore the decisions of the Human Rights Committee. Human mm. Rights Committee has found that Australia has violated um, the ICCPR in respect of its treatment of asylum seekers um, kept in offshore detention. Um, so the remedy is certainly... Um, not ideal. Mm. However, we still think that, 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 that because there is a clear violation, and as you mentioned, there are such limited options uh, to protect rights and Indigenous rights, particularly in Australia, um, that, that it was still important to seek this view from the committee. And, you know, despite Australia's response, <clears throat> whatever that may be, um, a decision of the Human Rights Committee, other, other states do uh, comply and um, uh, we think that the uh, decision from the global um, the committee on this important issue, the important new um, issue of climate change or, or emerging issue of climate change will still have um, an important uh, global um, impact as a precedent. Well, that's right, yeah. And, and, and obviously if the claim is successful, I mean, particularly thinking about 
the case here in Victoria, um, as Daniel mentioned, the charter is based on the ICCPR. So having a a precedent that exists that that confirms that uh, the state has obligations to people uh, to protect them really from the impacts of climate change would be a really compelling precedent um, which might be used in Victoria. Yeah. Speaking of precedent, is there even a broader precedent or aim that you're seeking to accomplish with this complaint on a national, even global scale with the way governments deal with climate change policy and protect their their lands, seas, uh, resources? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 we, we hope to, um, you know, set out what the test ought to be for international human rights um, protections and what state responsibility is in the context of climate change, because there's very little on, on what that may be. Um, you know, as I said, we say that, that, it, that it ought to be the Paris Agreement, um, but also that, that the, the, the terms of the Paris Agreement ought to be interpreted in a way that actually protects human rights because um, these impacts are so significant. So not just for Torres Strait Islanders, but people um, on the islands of the Pacific, um, on, on all the low-lying islands, they are facing um, these fundamental breaches of know their right to culture and essentially their right to self-determination as peoples. So these are really existential issues for, for, these, um, for these peoples and um, the law must have something to say about that, I think. Absolutely. And I, I guess for, for those listening today, how can we keep updated on your case and, uh, and if possible, how can we support um, the islanders to encourage climate change action on the part of the Australian government? Yeah, so so we are um, hoping to um, you know do do more uh, to tell Australians about this issue because I don't think that they realise. I think particularly Queenslanders don't realise that their fellow Queenslanders are um, on the climate front line. Mm. Um, and you know, obviously, coal is a huge sort of issue in Australia. But I think what's important about this case is that it it's really about people and and it. It really demonstrates that um, the impacts of climate change will will have a, a really serious and um, really serious impact on um, our fellow citizens and and uh, fellow Queenslanders, and it puts a, a really human um, face on it, rather than it being about you know the uh, trees, for example, you know as as people may perceive it. Um, so we have a website, it's called ourislandsourhome.com.au and there are um, a series of, we're releasing a series of videos uh, from um, made on the islands earlier this year with the clients and their communities. And that's a, please watch the videos, it's a really nice way to see what's really happening uh, and, and hear from the clients themselves, um, much more interesting than hearing from me. Um, and you can also sign the petition there. Um, and you can sign up for our newsletter um, to get updates. So um, the case has been uh, registered uh, by the UN Committee and we're now waiting for Australia's response. But if you'd like to support, please um, watch the videos and sign the petition and um, sign up to our mailing list to keep Ab- Absolutely, to get Sophie. We, um, we will share the links to that on our socials uh, for the 3CR listeners. Uh, I've signed the petition and I hope many others out there will do too and keep updated. And when can we, uh, just quickly, Sophie, when can we hopefully expect 
um, some progress and an update to this complaint? Uh, it is a slow process, unfortunately. The committee's got quite a backlog, so I think we will have um, some news probably early next year. All right, well, hopefully that can be uh, really good news, not just for you, but for Torres Strait Islanders, Australians and people around the globe. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Sophie. No problem. Thank you. And we will be sharing all that information on the Done By Law Facebook page and there'll be more information, hopefully, on the 3CR website. Um, we were joined tonight by Sophie Marginac from Client Earth in the UK, uh, talking about Torres Strait Islanders taking the Australian government to the UN Human Rights Committee. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.